Lately, we have been introducing you to all the amazing products Ascent Nutrition has to offer. This week, I'm very excited to tell you about their full-spectrum hemp oil. Ascent Nutrition's full-spectrum hemp oil utilizes superior plant genetics and an organic proprietary blend of natural ingredients. Their hemp oil contains not only an abundance of CBD, but 119 other phytocannabinoids found within the spectrum of the hemp plant. According to the National Center of Biotechnology Information, this strain is the gold standard in hemp genome sequencing. Ascent also uses a unique method that ensures infusion of significantly more phytocannabinoids and CBD than all other competitors they tested against, including most of the leading CBD companies. I challenge everyone in the audience that uses CBD, as well as those of you who may have tried other CBD options and didn't get any results, to try Ascent Nutrition's full-spectrum hemp oil, which is guaranteed to be much stronger and contains more phytonutrients than any others on the market. Just click the link in the description or visit GoAscentNutrition.com and use coupon code FKN to get 10% off your entire purchase. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Dr. Rita Louise. First, I have a couple of announcements. If you have a business and you want to advertise with Forbidden Knowledge News, email me, forbiddenknowledgenews at gmail.com. We have unbeatable pricing and ad packages, so come check us out. Our website is ForbiddenKnowledge.news, and it's the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. We feature amazing podcasts from our community, like Raised by Giants, Inception, Going Down the Rabbit Hole, Ancient Gift, many more. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. Check us out on Rockfin. This is where you're going to get our premium content and all the premium content from all the creators on Rockfin. You just go to rockfin.com slash FKN plus to sign up. You can also create a free account and get all the free content from every creator on Rockfin as well. Today I want to welcome Dr. Rita Louise. She's a gifted empath and talented clairvoyant medical intuitive. She is a naturopathic physician and the founder of the Institute of Applied Energetics that trains students in the art of medical intuition, intuitive counseling, and energy medicine. She has authored six books and produced several feature-length and short films. She has appeared on radio, television, and in the movies and has lectured on health and healing, ghosts, intuition, ancient mysteries, and the paranormal. 
Dr. Rita, welcome. How you doing? I am doing great. I am so glad to be here with you today, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Oh, yes. We definitely got lots to talk about. You research and write about everything from ghosts and ancient mysteries to health and healing, all topics we love here very much, and I'm sure we're going to dip our toes into as many of those as possible, as well as your latest book, which is about dysfunctional relationships. Yeah, there's no topic FKN won't at least poke a stick at, so we're going to go everywhere. Uh, Now, this is your first time on, though. I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and what led you down your current path. Well, you know, I've had two loves in life. The first was archaeology and anthropology, which I fell in love with in fifth grade. And and then the, the other one was psychic stuff, which, you know, back in the day, it was called ESP, extrasensory perception. And, uh, I fell in love with that when I was 12. And so, you know, I've had day jobs and, uh, but I found it interesting, you know, in reflection a few years ago, that those were my first loves and lives and in life. And that's really kind of the path I've been on my whole life, you know, is doing this kind of work and doing this kind of research. And, you know, when the whole ancient alien concept came forward or more into the public view I found that I got to go back to my first love, you know, because I really love ancient traditions and ancient cultures and researching that kind of information. And so um, it was very satisfying and it was very satisfying, you know, and and I joke around, you know, in my day job, I, I work as a medical intuitive, which is, you know, simply put a psychic who works with people on health issues. You know, I'm a naturopathic physician and have a PhD in uh, natural health counseling. You know, so I help people to sort through their thoughts and emotions that many times are underscoring their health concerns. You know, so people call people call me for all kinds of weird, different things that sometimes I know about. Other times you really have to take that uh intuitive leap of faith and go, okay, so I'm not sure where we're going, but we're going to go somewhere. Right. That's great. Uh, now, as far as your, um, your psychic abilities and intuitive abilities, how did you kind of realize and come into that and, and eventually start working with it? So I went to the, and graduated from the Berkeley Psychic Institute. And so again, you know, from the age of 12, I was interested in this topic. I wanted to learn how to be psychic. I started reading all these books about psychic phenomena and self-growth and personal healing and anything I could find to read. Uh, You know, learned all about the chakras and Kabbalah and, you know, and then, I mean, this was, this was a very humorous story. So I lived in California and I lived near San Jose And once or twice a year, I would trek up to Berkeley, which was a little over an hour drive. And they have this main drag with all these little shops and tchotchke stuff right off the campus. And there was this one bookstore that had this little newspaper called The Psychic Reader. And I would go through the like help section, you know, want at looking for someone teaching classes, never would find anyone. So many, many, and I mean, we're talking many years later, I, uh, there was a psychic fair happening down the street from my house and I 
show up to the fair and I asked the woman at the information counter, she goes, well, is there anybody that teaches, you know, psychic ability stuff? No lie. No lie. She picks up the psychic reader, opens it up to the center page, and it was a two-page spread about the courses that they offer. And meanwhile, I have been getting this paper for like eight years looking for somebody, but apparently I was not ready for it. Wow. That you is know, very interesting. And what I discovered in taking their course actually like three weeks into taking their main program was that I had been psychic my whole life, but no one ever connected the dots between if you have this kind of experience, that is a psychic experience, you know, so I'm sure your listeners have had situations where, you know, they make a comment or they know something in the back of their mind that turns out to be true. And so many times we just sit there and go, oh, well, that was a weird coincidence or, you know, that was a weird synchronicity. But really, you were tuning into the information that was being projected out there and receiving it. So now, would you, you know, agree so, that um, everyone basically has access to these? It's just maybe some might uh, have a little bit more of a, a, a connection to it or might be honed in easier or uh, just might have that natural talented ability that's uh, a little bit better connection than others great question and i love your little angle on it yeah i mean i like to liken psychic abilities to like dancing or doing artwork you know there are some people that are great right out of the box you know there are some people that they get some training and they become really good and then there are some people that, you know, no matter what they do, not so much. Um, and to be honest with you, I, you know, I've been in this field for a really long time and I joke and I, I love this friend of mine to death, but I don't think she has a psychic bone in her body. And she used to run a ghost hunting group that I worked with. And we would go into some of the most funky places on the planet and there would be like some spirit or some negative stagnant energy over in this area. And I would, you know, cause they were always asking, you know, like, well, what's going on? And I wouldn't just take them to where it was. I'd go, well, go walk between this spot and this spot. And when you feel something shift, you know, either walk, you know, walk the whole way and then go back or just stop. And everybody in the group would, always find the spot always except her not once and so i joke around and go yeah you know i only know one person who's not psychic <laughs> all right yeah and i i just wonder if you know this connection that has been you know cut off over the ages it seems like our ancient ancestors had much more access to this much uh, more stronger abilities consciousness abilities awareness abilities and uh, abilities to use these to to manifest uh, actual things into into their reality uh, and the more that I, I think about how we've probably been suppressed over the years through the food and water and medications and indoctrination and false education that we've been getting that kind of dulls all those natural abilities, would you think? Mm -hmm. um, in antiquity, one of the things that was crucial to a culture was the ritual experience. You know, so, you know, I always think about 
you know, the Native American, you know, images, mental images of Native Americans dancing around the fire, you know, I mean, I think most people can, can see that. But what was part of that whole thing was usually when they would have some kind of a celebration, the land was cleared and it was purified and they would make ritual food. So, you know, when we think of Thanksgiving, you know, it's kind of like ritual food. There's an importance to it. Um, you know, they would ritually cleanse, they would make masks, they would make costumes. And so there is this focus on this event, you know, and, but all of those experiences are kind of meditative experiences. You know, if you're sitting there and you're sweeping, you know, for many people, their energy can clear. And so they would spend like a week preparing, you know, and doing these rituals for the grand finale where there would be all of this dancing happening. But the reality is, is that they were all preparing. And in those cultures, there would be some people who would transcend and maybe channel a spirit or bring through deeper insights, but it didn't take away from the connectedness of these other people, and I'm going to say to themselves, you know, and to source and just, you know, cleansing. I think everyone's had the experience <clears throat> if they're in a bad mood and they go to the gym and they leave the gym and they feel better. You know, when my kids were young and they would piss me off, you know, I would go clean, you know, so if I was cleaning a bathtub, it usually meant I was pissed off. <laughs> But when I would get done, I would feel better because that focused work would give me a chance to discharge what I was holding on. And so that whole practice was part of their culture and part of their tradition, which kept them closer to source, God, you know, whatever word you want to put there, but also to nature and the animals and each other. You know, and if you're going to do psychic work, that is part of being able to be clear and being able to be neutral so that you can bring through clear information to the people you're working with. So I'm going to continue here a second, you know, and I think, you know, like our culture, religion um, played a major role in, you know, Western religion, you know, because if you think about you know, the Hindus or the Buddhists, I mean, they meditate regularly, you know, <laughs> they do things and there's an awareness of keeping that channel open, keeping that flow open. Where in the West, it's like, no, you have to go to somebody and, you know, forget your sins forgiven. I mean, we've, and it's, say, you know, it's just been kind of eradicated from us. You know, and some people, since this is forbidden, not forbidden knowledge, you know, there are some people that suggest it was done intentionally. Mm. Yeah. You and know, because when we're not connected, we can't bring through truth and we're more easily controlled. Right. And we're living in times where it's being revealed that 
so much that we've learned about ourselves, about our education, about our history, everything they've told us is indeed false. We have plenty of great researchers, uh, independent researchers that are kind of bringing this stuff to light, like yourself. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful that we're entering these times and so many people are kind of looking for truth. And speaking of, you know, people uh, changing their views towards things, uh, you're the founder of Institute of Applied Energetics. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? And do you find that more people are, are kind of bec becoming open to stuff like this? So the Institute of Applied Energetics is a, and I'm going to say it this way, a professional level training program for people that are interested in becoming an energy medicine practitioner, certified energy medicine practitioner, intuitive counselor, or certified medical intuitive. You know, so there are places that will teach, you know, like a 50 hour course, you know, a weekend deal. Um, and say, oh, now you're a medical intuitive, but that's really not how it works. You know, it, you have to be able to learn how to tap it, you know, and be able to read people and be able to feel their energy, you know, so this is more of like a two-year training program. It's all self-paced um, and prepares you to work with clients, you know, once you're done with the training, because you will have worked with so many people, there'll be a level of confidence that you're experiencing. Um, and yes, I think things really have changed. You know, when I first got into this field, you know, there were bookstores, but like saying that you did ghost hunting was, you know, really taboo. I mean, there were a lot of taboos. And now, and it's interesting, I, I, I live in Podunk, Texas now, you know, so, and it's really kind of redneck. And so I don't necessarily run around going, hey, you know, I do psychic work, you yeah. know, because uh, I just don't. But, you know, I've told miscellaneous weird people, you know, random people, it's like, oh, yeah, I've done ghost hunting. And what's fascinating is that their eyes light up and they're like, really, what's that like? And so there's this curiosity around the whole thing that wasn't there before yeah that, that it's definitely is and that's encouraging to me um could you tell us a little bit more details about what's entailed in a medical intuitive reading um, and maybe give some examples sure so um so this is how i like to format my reading and everybody that does work you know does their own style there are some that you know, you just sit in front of them and they'll just go, oh, well, I see this and I see this and I see this. And I have some clients that that is how I work. You know, and, you know, I kind of call it like the annual exam. I have a couple of people that will come and I will literally go through every system of their body to see if there's been any changes or there's any issues going on. But when I work with clients primarily, you know, I tell them it's like, you know where your alleys are. You know, so if you're having a digestive issue, you know, tell me I'm having a digestive issue. You know, it's like, I like to focus, it gives me the opportunity to focus in on what's going on with them versus trying to find what's going on with them, which might take a half an hour, you know, and then give them steps to take that they can bring about healing. You know, I mean, you know, whether it is, working with herbs, supplements, diet, exercise, you know, mental shifting, 
or sending you to go see a chiropractor or a cranial sacral person. I mean, I don't do that kind of work, but that might be the appropriate remedy for them. Yeah. So, uh, no, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Now, I want to get your thoughts on the the state of our healthcare system in general, especially right now. It seems that you know, it, since the onset of of um, allopathic medicine, they've just been creating perpetual customers. They've been keeping pe- people in a perpetual state of uh, illness. Uh, the Pharmaceutical companies and health care is not about healing. Um, it's about keeping you in a certain place and keeping you customers for the rest of your life. Uh, and it never has been, and it's pretty sad, but now it's encouraging that we're seeing all these, I guess you could say, mistakes that they're making, and um, people are realizing what is behind is some of these institutions and the pharmaceutical companies and how they're really not interested in our well-being and health uh, and things are starting to kind of shift and we're seeing people think about things a different way um, what are your thoughts about the future of this do you think that this will continue to just be what it always has been and basically a, you know a, a money-making system that doesn't care about human health at all Wow, that was a pretty loaded question. <laughs> um, you know, in the, I'm going to say around the turn of the century, maybe in the 20s, there was a lot of alternative health stuff out there. You know, there was Wilhelm Reif, who had the Reif machine, there were the Kellogg brothers, there was Edgar Casey out there, you know, there was this guy, Dinshaw, who did color therapy. And the AMA came in, which was a new organization, and basically shut them all down. You know, they were doing quackery, um, you know, so it took a long time for those alternative practices to kind of circle back around. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people have come to realize, not everyone, but I think there's a growing consensus, you know, well, I went to the doctor, this is a lot of my clients, you know, I went to the doctor and they gave me an antibiotic. You know, even though I have a viral infection, they gave me an antibiotic, which doesn't do anything, you know, or they told me, you know, well, it's not showing up in your blood work. So come back, you know, literally true story, had a client, she couldn't get out of bed unless she took painkillers. I mean, she was in that much pain, went to the doctor, did her blood work and said, well, we don't see anything, you know, come back in six months. It's like, seriously? Um, you know, and so today it's kind of like you almost have to come with your own diagnosis and come with your own, like, well, on TV, I saw this commercial and these were the symptoms they were talking about. And maybe you should give me this, you know, that they don't, they don't want to investigate. They want one-stop care, you know, and if it doesn't show up in your blood work, or if it doesn't show up in some very cursory testing and evaluation that's where they'll stop you know and sometimes things are going on that are deeper you know or they don't think about or they just don't care about and i think people are tired of it they're tired of the 10 minute hey you know i the doctor didn't even take his hand off the doorknob uh, well people <laughs> are also into the room yeah they're also realizing that it, they're treating it like 
like a cult or like some uh, some religious organization that we have to blindly believe what these doctors are saying, like the priest class. Uh, and if we don't, you know, we're gonna uh, we're not gonna be healthy people. We're not gonna be able to survive without them. Uh, so, well, and I think that that has really gotten busted. Yeah, in these sure. last couple of years, where it's kind of like, sorry, but what you're saying really doesn't resonate with me, and. You keep changing your mind every 15 minutes, but then running around saying, but it's science. And it's mm. like, no, it's your opinion. And I think there's a lot of people that have woken up to say, oh, but really they have nothing <laughs> at all. You know, and I think a lot of people, let me back up one quick second. Mm. It seems that many times the only way that they know to treat something is to give you a pill or to slice and dice. Right. And, and I think a lot of people have come to recognize that there are other things that they can do, or they're not in agreement to taking some kind of medication for the rest of their lives. You know, like statin drugs that you take for uh, high cholesterol. There are a lot of people that you do a little bit of homework and they say, you know, they're really bad for you. It's like, so why would I want to take that for the next 30 years or whatever. So my late husband actually worked in healthcare um, and had been a medic in the military, you know, and his philosophy was happiness through chemistry. So if they told him to take a prescription, he would take a prescription, you know, and I had to just really step back and allow him to do his thing, you know, cause I wasn't going to fight that mm. until his blood sugar was off the charts, you know, and I had to take him to the hospital because the doctor was like, uh, go to the hospital now. Don't stop, you know, just put down what you're doing. Just go now. And um, and that's when it shifted for him. You know, some, so sometimes you have to have this like major thing happen for you to go, oh, maybe I need to take more control over what's going on in my life. Right. Yeah, and that's the key. It's all it's all within us. We have the power to, to eat healthy, eat right, exercise, get sunlight, and uh, you know those those fundamental things uh, can keep you from even having to to visit a doctor. So that's what I think you know people should start focusing on. But I want to talk about more about the effects. Make, yeah, I, sure. Hang, sure. hang on, I just want to make one more comment. Mm -hmm. You know, all right, without disclosing my age, you know, and I have a couple of friends that fall into this category. It's like you go to the doctor and they go, well, what medications are you on? And you say, well, I'm not taking any. And they look at you like, what? You're not taking any medications. It's like, because many people that are in the same age group are taking four or five different things every day when yes. it's totally preventable. It's like, you don't need to eat that potato chip. You don't need to eat that candy bar. All right, quick story. So I have a friend who has diabetes and um, like type one. So he does the shots and we went out to lunch one day and he got a sandwich. So now he just had bread, which is sugar. And he washed it down with a milkshake. And I looked at him and said, wait a minute, you have diabetes. Why are you drinking this milkshake? And he goes, oh, well, I'll just, you know, do a little more insulin. And there is a whole group of people that would rather 
do that than limit themselves because they feel like they're going to be missing out on something. Wow. And, and and most people don't, uh, for some reason, they don't realize that the body has the ability to, to heal itself and take care of most ailments on its own if you're treating it right and giving it the ability to do so. So that's another, uh, you know, falsity exactly. that we, we'd have to look at. I want to talk about, this is important, I think, that people don't, another thing people don't realize is the effects of trauma on our health and it's one of probably the leading cause of all a lot of diseases that could be prevented uh with with dealing with these traumas right mm-hmm. okay so i'm going all right where are we going to start with that <laughs> that's a big one so, but it's a good one okay so in my experience so i've been working as a medical intuitive for over 20 years. I'm going to be kind of over 20 years. That still makes me old. And um, what I have found is that over 80%, and I'm going to put it more like 90% of all illnesses that people get, there is some kind of, and I'm going to use the word psycho-spiritual issue going on. So that other 10% is you fell over and you broke your arm. You know, you you went somewhere and you got a virus or, you know, some kind of environmental contagion. Um, You know, so that would fall into that, like it wasn't something that my body created itself. And so when I work as a medical intuitive, so let's say somebody is complaining about a liver issue or they're having a digestive issue and I start poking around on their liver what comes to me are these core beliefs about them and their lives. And so where those core beliefs come in, you know, it might be trauma and you could call it trauma, but it's these false beliefs or limiting emotions that make it so that they can't be who they are you know, and it will stop them. And so obviously the bigger something is or the more it's repeated over and over again, the bigger this little lump of funky energy can be. You know, so for an example, I had a client, she had some liver issues going on and I'm poking around and I just looked at her and I said, you know, I just get this impression that, you know, your whole life, you just try to be invisible. Because in her family of origin, you know, children are to be seen and not heard. And that was really enforced within her and her family. But it made her become kind of a wallflower. And she turned her energy down and turned her personality down because it was bad and it was wrong. And so that diminishment of her is what was sitting underneath this liver issue, you know? And so trauma can be big, trauma can be small. You know, we all experience trauma and some of, you know, we can live with it. I think where it becomes an issue was for, and I'll use the same example. There was what happened when she was a kid, but she took that belief forward with her in life and always tried to be invisible, you know, or felt safe by being invisible. 
And so it controlled her and her life, which over time got bigger, kind of like a corn, you know, it starts as this little teeny piece in your toe to the point where it gets this big callus on it and it really hurts, you know? So until you can get to that little centerpiece and heal that, you can't get rid of it. Are you ready to live a more free, healthy and abundant life? Transform your yard into a food forest and create a system for self-reliance that's easy and enjoyable with our friends at Food Forest Abundance. No matter where you're starting from, you can become more self-reliant. And you can take your self-reliance to the next level by becoming a producer of your own food through growing and foraging and learn how to turn your property into an income-producing source of economic self-reliance. They can help you get off-grid and learn what systems to employ for food, water, and energy self-reliance, and live abundantly and in full connection with your property and what you produce. Click the link in the description to get started with your very own food forest and have your own sustainable source of livelihood and become self-sufficient with food forest abundance. Now, one thing I've noticed, especially in the past couple of years, it seems like there is a major increase in mental illness, uh, people dependent on pharmaceuticals, psychoactive drugs, uh, suicide. And it's, you know, of course, since 2020, after the lockdowns started, this was, a, am sure, a huge contributing factor, but it seems to be an ongoing thing. But not only that. We have the mainstream uh, media and social media and things like that kind of uh, wanting to normalize mental illness in a way to where, you know, they can think they can push the drugs on you because it's a normal thing for you to feel this way and they can cure you with it, whatever pharmaceutical they have. I and mean, if you see some of these pharmaceutical commercials, you know, they want to mm-hmm. give you a pill for every little thing. My pinky hurts. You get a pill to, you know, it may cause all these side effects like death and disease, but you know, your pinky won't hurt anymore. So that's another thing that we have to deal with. And I think this, all this stuff is perpetuating mental illness as, as well in people. Have you kind of noticed an increase in uh, mental illness and, and people's mental health uh, issues lately? Um, Two-part answer. So I think, you know, with awareness becomes knowledge. And if you're willing to become aware of what's going on, then you can fix it. So I think the awareness is helping, you know, so if you have ADD or ADHD, it's like you can develop coping skills when you get triggered in order to work through that energy. But I'm going to say that younger people seem to have more issues with ADD, ADHD, you know, and some of those kind of things. You know, there are those that point their finger at uh, vaccinations. You know, I'm not, I've never really studied vaccines, but there is a very big increase in the number of people that have those kinds of issues. But I think that also, you know, they're not really taught to regulate their energy. You know, when I was a kid, it's like 
you went outside and you ran around and you rode your bike around and you climbed trees and you played ball and you played hide and seek and you burned off all of that energy. I mean, kids have energy and some kids have a lot of energy. And many kids now, it's like they sit in front of their computer or their Xbox or whatever, and they don't burn off that energy. You know, but kind of like we were talking about that ritual experience, you go out and you run around the neighborhood and it lets you discharge whatever you're holding on to. Well, they don't have that opportunity to do that. And um, I think parents, you know, which can be very self-regulating, you know, when you have that opportunity to do stuff in that way, it helps you learn how to navigate your own inner space you know and i i kind of reflect and go you know if meds were popular when i was a kid man they would have had me medded up big time because that was kind of a pain in the ass you know and so i do think it's interesting and again have not researched but i have noticed in working with my clients that you know and i'm going to and I, I know that it's after this, but I'm going to say like clients that I have that are today in like around 40 and down, that's where I really see an increase in these issues. You know, and the pharmaceutical company is more than happy to give you stuff versus, you know, your insurance company sending you to counseling. So maybe you could work through this or sending you to a group thing where you could learn some tools and skills to help you navigate your life more successfully. They would rather give you a pill to do that. Yeah. Now, one issue that mainstream medicine, I don't believe, would ever even acknowledge is the phenomenon of entity attachments and how this can affect people's health. Uh, now, I kind of used to think this was crazy woo-woo stuff a while back myself until I had my own experiences with it. So um, I kind of want you to talk, to address this and talk a little bit about it and uh, your experiences with uh, entity attachments. Okay, another loaded question. Uh, <laughs> you know, so um, entities like to control and manipulate people and control and manipulate their energy. Um, and so, you know, they can, you know, I don't have, a, all right, I, I'm just going to like be upfront, you know, so I don't have a lot of people that come to me because they're having a health issue that gets contributed back to there's an entity attachment mm -hmm. every so often, you know, it's more like these are the experiences I'm happening. And then you look and it's like, Oh, there's an entity or this is how I feel. And it's like, Oh, well that's because you have an entity versus I have a liver issue, you know, and you poke and there's an entity. Now I'm going to put a little caveat on that and we'll use the, I feel invisible. So one of the things that entities do is when a person gets triggered, they dissociate and then the entity has more control over the body and the mind. And so they will sit there and yell in your head, 
yeah, you're invisible. Nobody wants to talk to you. That's because you suck, you know? And so they will start this whole process that creates a more triggering reaction in you, which increases your trauma that gets stored up in that spot in the liver. You know, so I can't see where entities would do that, but not that they're a direct causation. Now, one thing, and I'm going to stay on this one second. One of the things that has really gone off the charts um, in the last few years are people coming with complaints of entities scratching, biting, having sexual encounters with, um, which was not very common five years ago. You know, so that's new. That's real new. That's very interesting. Now, um, you said that's been happening for the past few years. Um, Do you attribute that to anything in particular? I think that people are... All right, so I'm going to say this, and and if it doesn't make sense and I need to clarify, just say so if you don't think your listeners get it. You know, so an entity cannot enter your auric field, you know, so your personal space, unless there's something going on with you and you're in a bad place. You know, so I'm sitting there going, God, I'm feeling really invisible. You know, I just had a fight with someone. So now I got I got bad mojo. And that makes it where the entity has more opportunity to come in. And so I think that there has just been a lot of negativity that people have been experiencing that lowers their vibration and makes them more prone to being invaded. You know, because many times, you know, some people that have some really funky stuff going on, they're scared to death and not necessarily of the entity. That's just, you know, part of it. You know, but what's going on in their lives, you know, they're, they're going to die, you know, or whatever it may, you know, whatever the flavor is that week, you know, and you tell them, it's like, well, you know, you need to address the fear and you try to work with them with addressing the fear. And sometimes they just don't even want to go there, you know, or don't want to wrap their mind around it, you know, but it really has to do with their vibration. And, you know, if you open the door, the door is open. Do you think that um, there are mental illnesses that are being misdiagnosed that are actually uh, some sort of spiritual attachments? Um, I'll say it this way. So people that are schizophrenic many times will have an entity attachment, you know, and they're in pretty good communication with them, you know. Um, But there is actually a you know, an energetic issue. So from a a medical intuitive point of view, people that have schizophrenia have, so if I say chakras, are your listeners going to know what I'm talking about? Yes, they will. Sure. Okay. You know, they have blown out chakras, you know, so the chakras are designed to open and close. So they do this kind of depending on how much information you want to process from the world around you. So if you're scared, for example, your first chakra, which is at the base of the spine goes, (laughs) and there's not a whole lot of information being processed and so someone that is schizophrenic their chakras actually get locked into an open position so when they open and close you can filter information 
based on what's going on. Someone that's schizophrenic, it's like they lose the ability to filter information in different chakras. It doesn't mean all their chakras are affected, but in different ones. And so it makes it so that if there's someone standing there talking to you, they can't filter it because it's wide open, you know? And so even though we can't like regular people can't perceive it, you know, they're perceiving it. And so it's kind of like, Oh yeah, you know, you got this guy, you know, (laughs) but the mental health practitioner would probably be like, you need medication. Um, You know, and I guess really where it comes down to with that in particular is, are they being harmful to themselves? You know, because I feel like that can be addressed through energy work and, you know, working with the person to make that chakra function better. But I mean, I had one client and he was going that, he was going down a dark alley you know, and hit the entity was very dark. And I finally suggested to him that he go on medication, you know, and then it was really challenging even to work with him because he wasn't open because basically what the medication did was just shut it all down. You know, it shut down his ability to receive vibrational information from the world around him, which I thought was very interesting. Yes. It shut the entity out. That is very interesting. Well, what do you think? There's a lot of misconceptions. I think there's a lot of ideas and a lot of theories and different um, thoughts on what these entities actually are. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on them and if they actually may be different types of things. Some people think they're uh, disincarnate spirits or demons or angels or just negative energies. And I want to get your thoughts on what these possibly could be. Okay. You know, so – you know, I kind of made a five category list, you know, from highest vibrating to lowest vibrating, you know, with angels being the highest vibrating. And I think, you know, there are angels around, not my area of study, you know, because I like the bad boys, uh, <laughs> you know, so there are angels, which are very high vibrating spirits, you know, and I, and, and, and that's the word I'm tying to them. It's like, you know, did they come from a different planet? Are they from a, a multi, an interdimensional being? You know, that's a whole other conversation. Mm. You know, then there are spirit guides who tend to work with individuals. Then you have your basic run-of-the-mill ghosts, you know, that hang out in your house or come visit you or whatever. And then you start moving into the darker end of the spectrum, you know, where you have your attached entities, um, So in that category, the bulk that I have experienced were presented themselves as non-corporeal beings, you know, so they were some dead guy. And what's interesting is most of the time they're guys or they present as guys, which I think is interesting. Um, But I've also encountered what I call alien entities where they... You know, they show up looking weird, you know, like the human torch, or I just had a client who had these two entities that were like reptilian, so humanoid in stature, but with kind of this like tough skin. And then they had like horns coming out and elbows and shoulders. It was really weird. I was like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Um, 
And what's interesting with them is that they do not get human, you know, like human to understand human. And I, I like this example, you know, so you watch Star Trek, you know, and Klingons are Klingons. So no matter what Klingon you meet, there's kind of like their level of culture. You know, it's a good day to die. Where for us, it's like we would never say that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. Um, you know, so Klingons are Klingons, Ferengi are Ferengi, you know, and so if you have a Ferengi hanging around in your space, the way you need to interact with them for them to get it has to be with Ferengi mentality versus human mentality because humans are human and Ferengi are Ferengi and Klingons are Klingons. Well, when you have these like lizard people showing up it's like well, who the hell are you and how do you communicate with you like what's your mentality and what what do you want yeah. so they're more challenging and then i do have one category that i will call demons but not in the classic religious sense of the word but these things are just they're they're, they're not good they're just uh They're, I don't know. I mean, I hate to say that they're just evil, um, but they are, and they just don't, you have to approach them in a very different way. You know, you have to really expel them versus, you know, if it's just like your standard non-corporeal person, you know, you can try to send them into light, you know, you can like use psychology on them and the demons are just, you know, sometimes they show up corporeal, Sometimes not so much, you know, sometimes they'll end, like be in people's bodies. Um, I don't deal with them. I usually will refer those people out because that's, you have to sit there and have very strong boundaries to be like, be gone. And then have them, you know, be open to them, like to come and like clonk you on the head. <laughs> it's like, nah, I ain't doing it. <laughs> wow, man. I, so what would what advice would you give people who may believe they have an entity attachment? And how would you how would you go about finding out uh, or even telling the difference between some natural mental disorder and being whispered in the ear by by an entity? I mean, it's a little challenging. Um, what I find more challenging are people, and this is going to sound terrible, so listeners, I'm sorry for saying this out loud. Um, what's more challenging is that people will self-diagnose, uh. you know, because there are symptoms that tend to be common traits for people that have entity attachments. But people will self-diagnose, but the entity's goal is to control and manipulate and so the, one of the ways they do that is they don't want you to know that they exist because when you know they exist, then you, they can't play the game anymore. You know, so they use everything in their power to make you think that what you're thinking is you, you know? And so if you're saying, oh, well, I have this entity. All right. So when clients call me and the first thing out of their mouth is, oh, well, you know, I got this entity. You know, the first thing I say is, well, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Because sometimes people think, and, and this is a real concern, 
You know, they think they have an entity and now they're looking for it and they're looking and there's something that's called a thought form where you could have a thought and you give it so much energy that from a, you know, point of view, it actually will take on a certain amount of form and have energy tied to it. Like an egregore. I don't know what that is, but I'll take your word. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a thought form, yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, and they can really be kind of hard to segregate out. You know, some of the criteria that I use, and sometimes I even get fooled, is when you look at them, you can tell that they're humanoid. Like, you know, they seem like people, but you can't make out details. You can't make out features. There's always this kind of smokiness to them. Um, when doing energy work with them, you know, like I'll ground my client, I will ground their entities. And if I can ground their entity and the entity goes away, then it tells me that it's a thought form. Where if you give a real entity, this always sounds so weird talking about. When you give a real entity a grounding cord, it grounding cord, it will just kind of chill them out. You know, I mean, in the same way that it would give a person, you know. And it took me a long time to figure out because, I mean, I, I do a lot of work with this, you know, like, oh, well, I gave it a grounding cord and it kind of disappeared. And I'm thinking, oh, I got rid of the entity. It's like, oh, that's because it wasn't an entity. It was a thought form. And the wow. more people think about it and the more people freak out and mm. the more people get scared that, oh, my God, I got an entity. Oh, I'm going to die. It's controlling me. Uh, it just makes it worse. Yeah, well, I can imagine that it would. Uh, I want to talk about your your latest book and what brought you to write it, uh, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and Narcissist, which is, seems a little different than the other ones you've written. <laughs> you think? <laughs> so, um, you know, and I don't really have an issue being self-disclosing, so I have a very strong pattern of getting into toxic relationships and I've been in too many, I've been married too many times. And, um, so I had ended a relationship and this pattern was kind of like stuck in my face. I mean, I've been on my spiritual path for, you know, since I was 12, you know, and doing all of this work. And it was really shocking to me that I could be stuck in this pattern and not even see it, not even notice it and not really understand what was going on and, and why. And so I started digging because I wanted to understand, you know, why was I doing this? Because I don't want to do this again. I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, spirit communicates with me, you know, so I'm doing this research and, you know, I got this message that said, well, you should write a book about it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and then the next message was, and you have to tell your story. And I'm like, oh, I don't <laughs> and, um, and so I tried avoiding that, but nothing really moved forward. So then I like actually typed up my story and the book just unfolded. You know, and I would see a different word or I would get, well, what about this? You know, and, um, 
you know, so the book is kind of broken up into, you know, I like to think three parts. Um, the first part is really taking a look at your stuff, you know, so people often think, oh, well, you know, they were a bad person, you know, or they were really toxic, or they were a narcissist, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they blame the person that they're with, but don't really take responsibility for what they brought to the table in the first place and what got them caught there in that, you know, in that dynamic. And so the first part of the book really looks at you and your family of origin, because usually we're trained kind of like religion to be a certain way. You know, so as I was talking about the woman who felt invisible, you know, I could see her getting into toxic relationship patterns because she's supposed to be invisible. So now she has her partner saying, well, this is what it's supposed to be, but she doesn't have the skills or gumption, maybe the Mm. healing to sit there and put herself forward because she is supposed to be invisible. You know, and so it really has you take this very hard look at yourself and your patterns and your family of origin to kind of see how that all played into how you got there in the first place, because you can't fix something that you're not aware of. So I will say Mm -hmm. that there are some people that have tried to read the book, but it triggered too much in them. I've had a number of people say that it made me cry, which is good, you know, because it's cathartic, you know, you're grieving yourself, Um, but they found it very healing, you know, because it was like, oh, now I'm starting to understand. You were going to say. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great thing, but I myself have found myself in the same predicament when it comes to relationships, but this seems to be like an epidemic, though. This seems to be there's so many people, so many friends and family that I've known, so many people, acquaintances that have this same thing where they keep diving into toxic relationships. And uh, this just seems to be like around the board. Every once in a while, you'll see a uh, people fit together and have a good relationship. But why is it that the majority of people these days are getting into these toxic relationships, you think? So I think, you know, I'm just looking at you going, how old are you? Uh, (laughs) Probably older than you think. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, You know, I think that in, okay, I'm going to say it this way. You know, I would not want to be a young person these days because everybody wins, you know, everybody is good. And so they're not really taught boundaries. They're not taught to be kind. You know, they're taught to, well, what am I going to get? You know, and everybody's got their hand out. And they're not taught to uh, have responsibility. You know, when my son was in school, he was part of this group. And, and it was a class. And they would, like, do these little projects and you know like make little gift baskets for the bus drivers and you know so i mean the motive was good of what they were doing but every week he would come home and he's like well i need five dollars for this or i need twenty dollars for this or i need three bags of candy for this and it it pissed me off i'm like you know if you need me to make cupcakes 
for a bake sale and you sell the cupcakes at the bake sale and you use that money to fund this project, I'm in, I'm good. You know, you want to have a car wash and you need some help. I'm in, I'm good with that. But if you're just coming with your handout, you've learned nothing other than to beg and that I'm going to say, okay. You know, and I think that there's a lot of that that happens now where parents won't say no to their children. And we are literally growing a bunch of narcissists. And I've had multiple clients who they get a job, you know, they go to a trade school, they graduate high school, whatever. And I'll use this one story in particular. So this guy went to automotive training. He got hired at a place like changing for to change the oil. I think it was a dealership. And that's what they had him doing, changing oil. And by the end of three months, he was pissed off because he was still changing oil and he hadn't been promoted into doing something else. Now, meanwhile, he just graduated school and, and he quit because he felt somehow, you know, put down because he wasn't like the president of the company after three months, you know? And so you see a lot of that happening, um, you know, and I'm going to put that more in the younger, younger than me generation. Mm, right. Um, it's like the strange you know, sense of entitlement for some reason. But narcissism is all based on entitlement. You know, so the two big dynamics that I talk about in the book is a core belief of entitlement that everybody should give me stuff and I should be the best person and, you know, I should get the prize even if I didn't do anything. That's entitlement. You know, and then on the flip side of it is something that's called subjugation where you're going to give of yourself either to get love and appreciation from other people or to not experience a negative consequence, you know? So kind of, yeah. So my life was negative consequence. It wasn't about getting love and appreciation. It was about not getting whacked up the side of the head. Um, and so, you know, you've, and I'm sure everyone's heard the term people pleasing. You know, so people, people that are people pleasers, just in the generic sense, have that subjugation core belief. And so you get this person who will do things, you know, either so they don't get in trouble or to get love, attention, affection, notice from someone else. They will naturally gravitate to this person who wants to take it. You know, they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. And what becomes very sad is that, you know, the people pleaser that I call the unhealed empath wants to give, 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 give. And the self-centered, entitled narcissist wants to take and is more than happy to take. You know, and there's benefit, you know, personal benefit because it makes the people pleaser feel like they're doing something, you know, and so there is a internal benefit for that, or they think that this is what you're supposed to do, because that's what they've done their whole life, you know, in their families, you know, and so even just sitting there and having the realization, it's like, wow, you know, I'm a pretty big people pleaser. Oops. Yeah. And, and, and people that are narcissistic, you know, or self-centered, um, 
if they read my book, it would never apply to them. Uh, they would never see them because they're perfect, you know, and it couldn't be them. Now, they may be able to sit there and point to friends of theirs that might be more self-centered and more entitled in behavior than they are, but they would never self-reflect that maybe I have an issue. Ever. Yeah. Now, one of the things I learned a hard lesson very early on in my life is that you can't stick around in any toxic situations. You got to, you know, you got to do what's best for you and get out of it. And I think that's the best answer for this, for things like that. But why do people kind of cling on to that even when you know it's to the detriment of their their selves their safety their health i mean uh, i've seen some very strange situations where this you know this person is miserable hates their life hates their partner but yet they're sticking with them for some reason i don't know what do you think you've been hanging out at my house right (laughs) (laughs) you know so there's actually a number of reasons why that can happen you know what i find well, there's a couple that are kind of on equal footing, but I'm going to talk about women in particular, because this one is just a really challenging one. You know, in our society, it's like women aren't pushed to provide. They're not pushed to financially take care of themselves. You know, if you bring children into the dynamic, you know, they might become a stay at home mother, you know, and so many times, Many of my clients in particular, or I belong to some groups online, find themselves in financial situations where they just can't go. You know, they don't have a car, they don't have a job, or they have a job, but they're getting paid minimum wage and they have three kids and they can't support their three kids on minimum wage, you know, and it becomes a giant financial hold on this person actually had one lady that was hoping her husband would die. She would come and get readings and ask about her husband's health. I swear to God. And ask about her husband's health. And I'm like, well, he's fine. And the funniest thing was, is she ended up at a show getting a reading from my girlfriend. And my girlfriend calls me over and I just looked at her and I go, so you're just staying in your relationship so that you don't have to give up the sofa and the lamp. And she just didn't want to lose any of the things that she had benefited. Oh, wow. You know, so if you're in a relationship with someone and you split up, you know, there is that possibility that you're not going to have the same status. You're not going to have the same. It's different. And you have to get to the place where you're okay moving from a really nice house into a small apartment, you know, whatever that is. And a lot of people are not willing to do that. They would rather be miserable than give up their lifestyle. Right on. Uh, Now, for the last few minutes we have, I know you have to take off soon. Maybe you could give people advice on what they should look for to avoid getting into these types of relationships and situations, any like warning signs or red flags they should look for. Okay. You know, so I think the best one is, is it really moving really fast? Okay, this is the one that gets me every time, you know, but not anymore, not anymore, damn it. Um, You know, where 
you start dating them and, you know, now they like want you to move in with them, you know, but it's only been like three weeks, you know, and the pace is very fast. You know, that, I mean, it could be true love, but you can give it more time to let the relationship unfold. You know, people that are very self-centered can act very kind and loving and giving to you for a certain period of time. You know, but after six months or a year or possibly even two years, it's like they can't do that anymore. You know, they can't hold up that mask. And so, you know, giving it more time before you make any kind of deep level commitment to, you know, again, moving in together, whatever, having a child together. Um you know, if you're with someone and they say mean things to you or mean things about you to other people, even in your presence, you know, um, that's a red flag. I think an easier way of even identifying that is, do they say or do things that bother you, like on a deep level? You know, one of the things, so I have a big, I grew up in a big family. I have seven brothers and sisters with very diverse personalities. And so I learned, and I'm sure my brothers and sisters all learned how you learn to accept different behaviors and different personalities. It's like, I being a jerk, you know, and you just accept that they're a jerk, you know, but when you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, an intimate relationship with someone, you don't have to accept bad behavior. That's been, that's been my biggest lesson. It's kind of like, well, you know, but that's just who they are. It's like, well, just because that's who they are, doesn't mean I have to like it. And it doesn't mean I have to hang around it, you know? So if they're doing things that bother you, you know, let's say they drink too much, you know, or they aren't really supportive of what you want to do or what your dreams are, you know, or they criticize you or, you know, you find that, they can say mean things to you or cancel plans or whatever. And then you do the same thing back. You may do a last minute cancellation or you make some kind of smart ass comment to them and they have a meltdown, you know, but then if they do it and you have a meltdown, there's something wrong with you and, you know, you're to blame and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, bottom line, there is tons of information online. Um, you know, I would love people to get my book, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and Narcissist. You know, but there are some great uh, YouTube channels like Lisa Romano talks about codependent behavior and toxic relationships. She's wonderful. Um, I just recently found another one who I've been watching recently, Crappy Childhood Fairy. I love the name. Crappy childhood fairy, um, you know, but if you're concerned that you're in a narcissistic relationship, again, there, you know, I would just go to YouTube. There are tons of resources there. And my book, Dysfunctional Dance. Yes. Great. <laughs> well, Dr. Rita, this was fantastic. Uh, before you head out, let everyone know where they can find your books, your work, uh, social media, all that good stuff. You know, so my webpage is soulhealer.com, S-O-U-L-H-E-A-L-E-R.com, soulhealer.com. Um, it has a bunch of articles on there covering a huge range of topics. 
Um, you can get my books on that webpage. Uh, my books are also available on Amazon.com, Barnes and you know, all the regular traditional places. But if you get it from me, it comes autographed, and that's priceless. Nice. Um, again, there's all the articles. There's some videos um, on Facebook. It's Dr. Rita Louise on Facebook. Oh, I know. And if you want to reach out to me to have a session, because I work with people online like Skype, not Zoom, and, and over the phone primarily, um, use the contact form because that will come right into my inbox. And I always respond, you know, and then if I don't respond, check your junk mail because that's where it is. Excellent. Well, Dr. Rita, thank you so much. We will definitely be speaking again in the future uh, okay. and I'll be in touch. Perfect. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, till next time, everyone have an excellent evening and we will be talking tomorrow. We'll see you then.